0: We are back with the second episode of the Euro Whiskey Podcast. We're back. A few technical difficulties, uh, but it's all it's all systems green now. That's
1: uh, so. When you smashed your first laptop, uh, like how quick was the turnaround to get
0: a brand new one? Uh, well, the, uh, yeah.
1: I'm very confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am very confused already. That's a great start. Well, welcome back, folks. This is episode two of the Euro Whiskey Podcast. Euro-whisky. Thanks for joining us once again. Euro Whiskey, Harry.
0: Um, Euro Whiskey, Harry. Yeah, so. Uh, I look like Hagrid, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Please tell us, Harry, what is coming up for Euro Whiskey? Uh, yeah, one, one bit of uh, news that, uh, I found recently for European Whiskey, which. It's sort of a bit unusual, is the, the Fair Isles Distillery. Uh, and I, I take it you, have you heard of this, Stuart? I have not. The so Fair Isles Distillery is on the Faroe Islands. So it is one of, actually, two distilleries there. You know, small, small group of islands, but um, so, cool. yeah, they've been doing a whole crowdfunding thing and they just hit like a landmark, I think they hit like half of their total crowdfunding goal.
1: Very impressive. What's the What's the
0: total goal? uh good question uh it's it's millions of something millions and millions Uh, of things they've got a bunch of casks have come in like ready to be filled even though they haven't started distilling yet i think they've got the stills in place as well now very cool yeah less than a week after they started their second second extra crowdfunding campaign is how they put it they've got almost three million danish krona now Cool. So it's, I, f- I think it's in stages, you know, they've, they've hit a landmark uh, sort of stage. And, um,
1: no, no, very exciting. Uh, always cool to see new distilleries popping up and uh, more work for you, adding them to the map.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, visiting them. It's not quite as easy as some <laughs> of the other ones. You know, I, I like not having to fly uh, where possible, but uh, I, it's pretty difficult with the Faroe Islands not to fly. I'd just drive there. It's fine. Get my, get my James Bond, Bond car and just... Uh, That'd be cool. Yeah, that, that's a stretch goal for a Euro whiskey when you get it, like a Patreon or something.
1: <laughs> Help us get a
0: James Bond submarine car. Yeah, getting you know, a sponsorship on the side of it, just advertising, look like a NASCAR thing. But yeah, and in, in, Ed, in Edinburgh, I think there's a few whiskey events have been happening as well, Stuart. There's a, a one at Holyrood, I think. That's right, yeah. Um, recently,
1: uh, at the start of June, uh, Holyrood held their second mashup event. Uh, and that's a combination of new world distilleries and uh Mm -hmm. and breweries from across scotland so uh so the distilleries could be scottish they could be from edinburgh or you know they could be world whiskies like from finland for example and then they're sort of doing uh half and halves so they a little dram and a little beer uh, from the breweries yeah
0: i love a love a half and half yeah, having the breweries come in is a nice,
1: nice idea. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, as we know, working in the industry for a while, not everyone is a whiskey fan. But, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're not used to the real high uh, ABV spirits, you know, beer might be more your style. Or, you know, um, I was there last year um, at the mashup for for the first event. And there are a couple of uh, gins available as well. So, I mean, not just from Holyrood, but from, you know, the Isle of Rassay. And a few other distilleries, they had their gins. So, I mean, potentially something yeah. there for, for most
0: people. Yeah, like that's lots of nice Scottish gin, you know, coming coming through as well. You know, no reason to not have that as well. Yeah, I no, hope it's it's cool because you don't see all the, all these whiskey festivals around different places. And like, you know, obviously Edinburgh does have whiskey events, but the mashup is much more like how I'd imagine, you know, like like what they have in Islay, you know, the different distillery days in, yeah, yeah. in the middle of the you know. That's what Edinburgh could do with that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, Edinburgh itself, uh, historically had quite the interesting brewing and, uh, and blending, uh, history or heritage to it. So there are a lot of beer breweries, uh, within the the city of Edinburgh itself, uh, to go along with the whiskey blending that was taking place over in Leith and, you know, in the, in the Docklands yeah. areas. So, I mean, Holyrood's trying to bring a little bit of that back to, to the city.
0: Yeah. That's, it's nice. It's, I know it's not the only distillery setting up in uh, Edinburgh, but they've really, uh, they're getting to work on, you know, <laughs> really integrating themselves. And uh, for any, any listeners who haven't been to Edinburgh and seen where many of these former breweries used to be, one of the famous ones, the Caledonian, um, I actually used to live basically right next to when I was in Edinburgh. And, uh, they're actually selling it off now. Um, they've they've moved out of that site because it's, it's too small. And lots of the brewing didn't actually happen there anymore anyway. It was just like a smaller amount. But yeah, there's a lot, lot of lot of brewing history in Edinburgh. Speaking of events, I think they did. I did just see something online about the Whiskey Lounge event happening in Edinburgh. But uh, yeah, they have a few of those around different parts of the UK, I think.
1: Yeah, it seems to be a traveling festival that uh, that happens around this time every single year, or at least you know, in Edinburgh, it happens around this time seems like a, a good time for it obviously with the weathers being a little bit better everyone seems to be in a good mood coming up to summer as well. so that's that's nice. but yeah um, the whiskey lounge event I've been to a couple of them, uh, a couple in London and a couple in Edinburgh and they're always good fun and then you, you, know, you see your mates who work in the industry and maybe get a cheeky under- the-counter dram if you're, if you're <laughs> lucky enough. but uh, yeah normally it's a, it's a great opportunity to try uh, a lot of new whiskies or you know different whiskies from distilleries that you know. But also, it's a great chance to sort of touch base with a few of the newer distilleries or maybe some of the international mm. ones, You know, potentially European distilleries, if they've got a, a presence here. And you, know,
0: you can sort of learn a little bit more about those as well. Yeah, hopefully I'd like to get some more of them to have a good presence here. Yeah, speaking of uh, meeting people, these events, though, and you know, meeting people in the industry, um, I was at the Leiden Whiskey Festival last week um for the scotch more whiskey society very cool uh so representing them the first for the first time at a show in the netherlands you know obviously i'm you know work on european whiskies, but you know scotland scotland is in europe uh we did establish that the last episode yes we did um <laughs> just you know i, I you know I'm, I'm representing the best of scottish whiskey i like to think or at least some of the best of it so yeah it was a lot of fun and uh i managed to briefly bond into a certain cody reynolds uh one of our uh, friends of in the industry, brand ambassador for Angus Dundee. And also uh, someone working for Razzy. Gregor, nice to meet you. The tatted Instagrammer. Oh, is that him? Yeah. Oh, okay. And, right. and Mystery Drams. Yeah, tatted Instagrammer and mystery drams. Yeah. Um repeat, yeah. Our own Instagram handles are Euro Whiskey and uh, Ripper Whiskeys, right? Ripper underscore yeah. whiskies. Ripper underscore yeah. whiskies. Yeah. So no, that was that was last week in in Leiden in the Netherlands. It was beautiful beautiful event in this uh, massive church. Yeah, also there with some people from Whiskey Monkeys, this uh, Dutch whiskey publication. Yeah, I should I should have my um, article in Whiskey Magazine about European rye whiskey out now. It's uh, I'm waiting on my copy still to arrive, personal one. But uh, yeah, it should be, as of right now, it should be out in the UK.
1: Very cool. I have to pick up a copy. And then uh, when I yeah, see you, I'll get it back down again. <laughs> pick up a copy, put it back down, get you to sign
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> people come up to you in the street like, please sign my magazine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, very cool. So it, how is it um
1: uh representing a company in sort of a brand ambassador role uh in a country
0: that's not your native language? How how did that go? Yeah, it was it was interesting that, you know, uh because everyone else on the stand is speaking speaking Dutch and um uh you know, a few times me and other people did try to say, you know, uh in in Dutch, you know, I know I know enough to try and say, you know, sorry, okay, can can we do this in English or like you know I'm I'm learning Dutch but I need to improve so there was a few of those conversations but um, I mean there were also people from outside the Netherlands visiting who you know they were always going to be speaking in English at all the stands anyway yeah so it, it was it was still very welcoming still a good environment and uh, considering this time last year I knew about ten words of Dutch I'm I'm doing pretty well now I like to think but it's still in terms of having those conversations, you know, loud environments and uh, a lot of specific words, it's still it's still pretty challenging. That's still very impressive, though, very impressive. If we have a Dutch guest on at any point, I'll try a little bit, but uh, it won't be that much. <laughs> that's it. We're yeah. all going to
1: start somewhere. So that's a uh, good good man, good
0: man. So this is it's just a motivational like therapy session for me. <laughs> <laughs> you um, can do it, Harry. Although, yeah, uh, also speaking of events, um, I've just released some stuff on Instagram about uh, another tasting confirmed for Euro whiskey. Excellent. Where, where, are the, where is this one? Where is the next ones? The next ones? Well, there might be some coming earlier than this, but they're not confirmed yet. Um, this one is in uh, November, on the 8th of November in Manchester. Manchester. So in uh, a place called the Britain's Protection. It's a pub which you know, has a really good whiskey range in Manchester, right in the city centre. It's where the Manchester Whiskey Club goes for their tastings. And it's just around the corner from... This brand new distillery, Spirit of Manchester, which I'm going to be visiting them earlier in the same day. that I go over for that. Uh, Very cool. And they're just, just starting to put whiskey down to cast now. Nice. Two birds with one stone then. Yep. Tasting and distillery visit. Uh, yeah, that's that's the day before I come up to Edinburgh. I'm doing a tasting then at the Diggers, um, the Athletic Arms, and then the day after, one well, in Newcastle. But the Newcastle one, some details still yet to come. And as always, you can uh, get the details and the, the tickets from the Euro Whiskey website. Yep. If you think uh, giving 20 euros for a ticket is not generous enough, you can go to ydonate.nl uh, and look for Euro Whiskey, and you can get uh, rewards for uh, donating to the crowdfunder, which can be from as little as, you know, like 10 euros. I can I send a thank you letter or a little Euro Whiskey coaster, stuff like that. I'm um, quite proud of the coasters because they're made by a local company like 20 kilometers away from me, and they're like recycled wood. They're reusable, but also biodegradable. So I'm quite smug about them, to be honest. <laughs> well, no, it's still, it's very cool and, and environmentally friendly. Yeah, it's, do try to be environmentally friendly, which is also a thing with the sample packs. Also, we've got a tasting planned in La Whiskeria in Barcelona in September. Very so cool. keep an eye out for that.
1: Still plenty going on for Euro whisky. Love, yep.
0: You love to see it. Uh, it's it's <laughs> going to get real busy. Um, watch watch me tear my hair out in September and October. <laughs> well, don't tear your hair out. We, we can't both be bald. <laughs> You're not bald. Don't be don't be mean. No, that's close. To um, that. Just <laughs> wait till the male pattern baldness in my DNA somewhere finds me. It hasn't yet, but it's it's on it's on my mum's side. It's in there somewhere, somewhere just <laughs> slowly seeking you out. Now, uh, speaking
1: of tastings, in the previous episode, for everyone that uh, was listening, uh, of course, you know that we went through the first sample pack from Euro Whiskies. Mm-hmm. Tried three different whiskies from uh, three different European countries. Very cool. Very lovely tastings. Uh, we're going to do a quick one just now. We're going to do one dram mm-hmm. uh, instead of the three that we did. But one dram, always good. Yeah. Keep yeah. you warm.
0: One dram. We, this is going to be the segment of the show, I think, that is... Uh... Mystery Drams. Mystery, the Mystery Drams. Drams. Which is, there's, there's, there's a song in there somewhere. Yeah. Okay, so we are pouring. Oh. There that, we go. That sounded good. <laughs> we, are, we are pouring our Mystery Dram for this week for episode two. So this is one that I have brought along for Stuart. Uh, Much appreciated. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, something he knows nothing about. Um, Looking forward
1: to this one. Well, first of all, you look at the color—the <laughs> classic five
0: steps of any whiskey guide. Mm, no, it's, yeah, mm. you're going to talk about legs, and I'm going to hit you. Um, <laughs> you're allowed to anyone working in the whiskey industry. You're allowed to have at least one, but possibly more things that just people talk about all the time that is just complete nonsense. My main one is that water is important in the flavor of whiskey. It's not, uh, but all controversial. Uh, apparently. Um, it makes great marketing copy. It also doesn't mean anything. Hi, this is Harry in Post. Just wanted to make clear I'm not talking about when you add water to whiskey when you're drinking it. Of course, that does have a very significant effect. I'm talking here about uh, the water used in the brewing and then distilling of whiskey, the water used right at the start to mash the whiskey, and people are talking about uh, you know, different sources for that. But it's always clean, purified water, so it doesn't have that much of an effect on the final flavor. That's what I'm talking about. Back to the show. But yeah, also talking about legs and whiskey tasting, it's just like, I'm not saying it means nothing, but I just skip it. I just can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like we need like a chemist or someone
1: who can explain how water changes the chemistry of whiskey and changes the flavor profiles.
0: Yeah. As, as some distillers have told me, they don't like the fact they put in all this work and then people say, oh, but it's the magic water doing this flavor. Well, that's... That's one view, I suppose. For anyone that has an
1: opposing <laughs> view that wants to come on and join us as a guest, please uh, let us know. Hit us up. Yeah, if you want to fight for
0: water, if you're <laughs> if you're from the the water, for f- sake, <laughs> have The last If, if, if you're from the, Big Water, <laughs> Big Water, yeah. Yeah, no, well, well, we'll have an argument about water later. I'll fight you, but now, uh, now, no, now we have gone on a big tangent. We're going to talk about this whiskey for this week this mystery dram.
1: we are going to talk about this whiskey and i'm uh, again this is uh one that i'm not familiar with
0: uh, this is uh another mystery dram uh um, we definitely need a sound for that we need a sound for that yeah. um yeah and this, this is one i i've tried this before but only once and several months ago so it's a bit of a new one for me mm-hmm. to come back to as well the first thing i got on this was uh on the nose
1: was foam banana okay but then but then going back a few more
0: times more of a spicy dry fruit influence. I get the dryness. I get sort of dry cereal note from it, but yeah. it is sweeter for sure. It's almost yeah. It's like it's sweet, but it's almost a little bit off at the edges and yeah. just that sort of yeah dry way.
1: Now I don't know what the ABV on this one is, but it does feel like it's a little bit higher mm-hmm. coming through on the nose, but that's all right. ABV. The first, the first oh one, yes, I remember the that. first one of the day. It's breakfast whiskey. <laughs> Definitely. I, again, drink responsibly.
0: Yes, drink responsibly. Once again, we're back in Edinburgh. Slungeva. We're back in Edinburgh. Slanjava. We've got to get a mm. music. <laughs> mm. we got to get a musical sting to fill out that little <laughs> silent <laughs> that little... Yeah. So no, that's sort of like dry sweet note. I'm tasting on a palate. Yep. Well, what does it taste like?
1: Quite earthy. Quite quite cereal. Like uh, a little bit, uh, very rich in that cereal note.
0: Yeah. That's the sweetness is. you know, It's there, but it's yeah. not too heavy. You said it's. You says maybe a, like feels like a higher ABV, yeah, but it's not super spicy.
1: No, it's a, it's got more of like a honey sweetness to it as well. I find coming on the yeah, and there's there's the back. there's
0: some honey, which again I think that yeah. that fits nicely with the sort of slightly musty note of it. Yeah. But nice, no, fairly short finish.
1: So, what are we going with on this one? So, I, I I'm a big fan of this, and so I'm very interested to know. Okay, that's gonna make
0: some people quite happy. Who uh, who gave me this? So, this is. Uh, excuse me. This is Hungarian grain whiskey. Ooh. This is from a distillery called Gementz. I checked with uh, uh Yeah, one of the representatives. How it's pronounced. It's spelled G E M E N C S. Gementz. So um, uh, Gementz, The link taste to, is immense.
1: Link to them in the description. Yes. <laughs> there's
0: a there's a blog post uh, that I'll link to on on the Whiskey blog about when I first got these samples and tried them, uh, my thoughts. Uh, so you can see more details there because I got a set of four samples from them. Very cool. Um, but tell us about this one. Yeah. So um, I say it's a grain whiskey. The the name of the expression actually is zero zero zero
1: six dash four plus B. Rolls off the top.
0: Yeah. I'll be honest, Gemen. <laughs> okay, so you make some good stuff, but you gotta you gotta change that bit. Stuart was thinking the ABV was a bit higher. It's forty eight percent, so a little bit higher than a the little bit higher. Sort but... of you know the sort of standard um, baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you did you know you had something going on there. What, what do you know about this distillery? What can you tell us? So I tell you, it's in sort of southern Hungary, very close to the the Danube. Um, and I've I've talked a little bit about it with uh, this guy Robert, who uh, is in England, but you know knows the people at the distillery and work there. I remember him explained to me, and I'm sorry if I do the don't do this justice, Robert, that the reason why all their whiskies are 48 percent, they're all 48 percent, is. Because, it's to do with Hungarian history it's to do with the law of 1848 which is probably not what it's called but in 1848 there was uh, the end of um, some some conflict between Austria and Hungary that ended up creating the Austro-Hungarian Empire mm-hmm. and yeah, the, the 48 is a reference to 1848 um, I can't tell you exactly what the history is not my area uh, but uh, yeah, it, the 48 is a reference to that year, I know that much
1: that's a, a a very niche fact but it was a very very cool fact and, and <laughs> one that I think we both appreciate just now
0: but and and just as much as we appreciate the whiskey itself that's lovely stuff yeah it's I, I picked this bottle because again while I'm still uh, it's been a while since i tasted these this I remember this was my favorite of the ones they sent me the big deal with this one uh, compared to some of the others because it, it's grain whiskey it's made with again, a mixture of barley and corn and I think some wheat as well um uh, Harry and Post here. It's actually triticale, not wheat that they use. Uh, triticale is a wheat-rye hybrid grain. Um, this one is finished in Hungarian red wine barrels. Very cool. Most of them are one kind of oak. These are the other types i tried, but this, this is the red wine region, just north of where the distillery is. And yeah, they use this this red wine barrel. So yeah, they, they use European oak. And of the grain of the mash bill, the different grains that go into this, it's about two-thirds corn. So that's where a lot of the sweetness comes from, I think.
1: Okay, so similar to your typical bourbons, you know, being fifty-one percent mm. corn in the U.S.
0: Yeah, I think the makers of this are like, I get the vibe they're fans of bourbon, like with the, with that corn-heavy note. Um, also, I should say this whiskey is just a bit over three years old, maybe close to four. It said it was bottled in twenty nineteen. I think they just sort of went not not too far over three years for this, so it's quite young. Yeah. So all the all the things we were saying about it being quite sweet, and the richness of it, yeah, it's it's pretty good for the age. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have picked it
1: being that young, but it's yeah. You know, there's there's quite a, a depth of flavour to it, you know pre, Presumably coming from from the cask and from the from the red wine finish and
0: things like mm. that. But still, lovely stuff. Yeah, and I'm glad, glad you like it. It's um, it's a challenge, you know, picking out something that's to... <laughs> going to make you really like it there's not that many distilleries in Hungary just to sort of have a bit of context mm. I'd say um, three or four um, yeah it's it's not that easy to get hold of their whiskey to be honest it's um, not a great market for importing and exporting and of course it's not that great politically in Hungary at the moment so that doesn't help things but I think there's there's some interesting things to go on there It's a funny little quirk of Hungarian whiskey as far as I can tell it's the only country where they consistently use EY Instead of Y, for whiskey outside of um, Ireland and America. Right. Okay. Um, yep. So I don't know why that is. It may be just something to do with the phonetics of writing it in Hungarian. It looks more natural, but yeah, uh, it's definitely it's definitely a country I need to learn more about in general. And for their whiskey, you know, I've I've had a great time trying this whiskey from Gámez. But I haven't tried any other Hungarian whiskey. It's still very new to me. Well, I mean, as we
1: mentioned in the previous episode, you know, 700 or over 700 <laughs> uh, distilleries in, in the European continent at the moment. So, I mean, you've, you've, you've tried one. We'll, we'll tick
0: off the rest of Hungary. Well, we should. Uh, so we want to say cheers from the country. It's involved each time. And while I don't remember how to say cheers in Hungarian, I remember it's quite a long word. Thank you very much, Judith.
1: But also, uh,
0: if, if anyone listening is from
1: Hungary or yes. is familiar with uh, the correct way to say "cheers" in Hungarian, please let us know. Get in touch.
0: If you're Hungarian and you're surprised that you know this whiskey is out there, you know I don't. You know it's a small distillery. I don't blame you if you didn't know that Hungary makes its own whiskey, and in this case, quite a good one. It's very
1: impressive and very cool that you know new distilleries are popping up in you know countries as you said that
0: uh, you, you might not expect distilleries to be in yes I mean you know if you whatever country you're in if you're listening from Europe and you know you don't think your country makes whiskey it's worth, worth checking you know, mm. you know there's, there's quite a few countries which just have one but in, even then you know it's uh, still impressive to have that first one in your country like Slovenia has one Romania has one and I should say you know, the, the podcast is not only intended to be for people in Europe like if you were listening from Australia which of course is in Europe if you are listening from America you know you can still get involved with this stuff, um, not least because I can ship sample packs uh, to and from America. That's not uh, difficult for me to do. I've checked already that it works. I've, I've, <laughs> I've done test runs. And, yeah, you know, if you're visiting Europe from outside, uh, you know, from somewhere else, then, you know, visiting these distilleries is a great way to do something a bit different that not everyone else will be doing. It's certainly not like a tourist trap uh, thing to do on holiday, right? Mm-hmm. You turn up at Gavens Distillery, they'll be very happy to see (laughs) me. Yeah, and it says it's very new whiskey, it's very young whiskey in here. But I, I really am interested to see what they do uh, in the in the near future. I think it could be something that you know really is worth seeking out once it just gets that little bit older, especially. That's for sure. Very cool.
1: So, Harry, as you're aware, I was back in Australia recently for a wedding. Uh, some good friends of mine, so that was that was lovely. Uh, but mm-hmm. while I was there, my dad was very kind and opened his Harry Potter cupboard under the stairs,
0: which is now overflowing with whiskey. Which uh, is nice, but you're not allowed to use the term Harry Potter around me. It's uh, uh, I had a whole childhood of it. I can't take it anymore. So you can say the cupboard under the stairs, but okay. you're not allowed to refer to Harry Potter.
1: All right, so the Harry Potter cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yes, he was uh, very kind and uh, was offering me quite a few drams. A lot of them that I had tried before, but uh, there was one that stood out that I hadn't tried, and it was an Australian whiskey from Corowa Distillery. Now, Corowa, Corowa is a border town. It's in New South Wales, but it's on the border uh-huh. with Victoria. They come in fifty cl bottles, so not quite the, the full size bottles, but still very, very lovely stuff. Yeah, uh, the one in particular that I tried was the Barrel House XB. Uh, now this nice, uh, it sounds like it's matured exclusively in ex bourbon barrels. Uh, I was gonna say, is that the XP part? Yeah, yeah, ex bourbon, that, that'd make sense. Uh, yeah, so the whiskey itself, uh, I believe it's still quite young. They have been releasing whiskey since 2018, uh, but they, I just get the feeling that this one's uh, quite a young one. But obviously, with the uh, ex bourbon cask maturation, it's got a little bit of citrus, a little bit of vanilla, grassy hay sort of notes coming through. Uh, That's on the nose, but on the palate, you do get a little bit more of that lemon zest, maybe some marzipan and some almond as well. uh, With a relatively, you know, I'd call it a medium finish, uh, but you know, you still get that sort of long and zesty flavor coming through as well. Uh, The this one was coming in at forty six percent ABV. So nice, a little bit higher than the minimum, but uh, still uh, lovely, lovely dram.
0: Yeah, I imagine that works well for a young bourbon cast matured whiskey, sort of light but not lacking in body by the sound of it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and so quite young. I mean, there there are some Australian whiskies that have been around a bit more, um, but I get the impression most of them are fairly new, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, distilling in Australia goes back a couple of decades now, probably to. To Lark Distillery in Tasmania, mm-hmm. but um, the majority of the of the distilleries that you you'd be seeing coming out these days, if you know they might have only been around for ten years, but uh, the majority of them would have been uh, would be even younger than that.
0: Yeah, like you say in 2018. So I mean, that's that's one thing that Australian and European whiskey kind of have in common, in a sense. Some distilling's been happening for a while, and it's not unheard of to find somewhere that maybe has been working for twenty, thirty years necessarily, but. I mean, most of the time, yeah. The last five to ten years is when the majority of distilleries I might be looking at have either been founded or some of them have been founded before, but they were making brandy and stuff, and they've started making whiskey. So, yeah, the numbers massively increased recently, and I think even since I started, yeah, since we've you know used to work at the Whisky Experience in Edinburgh, the number of Australian whiskies has just kept growing and growing.
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how many. Distilleries are currently in operation across all of Australia, but yeah, it's uh,
0: increased dramatically. So yeah, it's good I'm for the sure. industry over there. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like you know the was seems like a nice, nice sort of even, easy, light uh, whiskey. And it's single malts, and they're just making single malts there. Uh, I believe so.
1: I think they might also have you know some gin or some vodka kicking about. You know, as uh, is
0: the case with uh, quite a lot of new distilleries. Yeah, so often the case uh, for the for the uh, sort of beginners in the in the whiskey world listening, uh, it's very common to see gin and vodka coming out of even sort of dedicated whiskey distilleries first because they're just so much faster and cheaper to produce, which does not necessarily mean that they're they're bad or they're worse. It's just you don't have that waiting for years to mature necessarily. So, yeah, it's 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 a very logical step to make some money while you're waiting for your whiskey to mature. Yeah, my turn. I'm going to tell you about a whiskey I tried recently. And um, while it's not a visual medium, I'm going to show Stuart the uh, case. of This bottle I bought in Aachen in Germany, just over the border from the Netherlands. So this is a uh, whiskey I got to try in the in a shop called uh, Weinhaus Lesmeister. I hope I'm saying that right. In Aachen. A wine shop, wine and whiskey shop, where they let me try this Belgian single malt. Very cool. So it's called Lambertus Belgian single malt, five-year-old. Oloroso Sherry matured. And it's from... The distillery is called Rademacher, and it's actually the oldest distillery in Belgium, which I'm a little embarrassed I didn't know until I tried this and was talking to them about it. I'd heard of the distillery, but I knew it was was very far east in Belgium, right next to Germany, very close to where I was. But uh, yeah, I didn't know very much about the distillery. And after trying this, I'm really annoyed I didn't know more about it because... Um, I say I tried a sample of it in the shop before buying this, you know, only five years old, Oloroso, uh, aged, uh, single malt, but yeah, lovely sort of orange, like a bitter orange, you know, Campari, Apero kind of flavor to it. Um, the real depth, sort of herbal sweetness to it, uh, of a sherry cask, but like, you know, some, some good sweetness in there. It's, uh, yeah, I, I was expecting it to be nice, but kind of very light and simple. I had more depth than I, I was expecting. So and yeah, I compared that to. I also got to try a sample of their ten-year-old single grain, also aged in sherry. Very cool. So that one was more than I was expecting. It was lighter, very gentle. And this one, you know, had this sort of quite rich depth to it. So uh, yeah, I, I I was really pleasantly surprised by it. So um, uh, Lambertus Belgian single malt, uh, definitely one I'm going to be talking about more in future.
1: Yeah, sounds cool. And I mean, the, uh, the tin that it's currently sitting in is looking rather impressive as well. So that's a, that's a nice touch.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really looking really nice sitting on the shelf, to be honest. Um, brushed metal look to this tin. The bottle comes in. And yeah, I mean, really lovely design, which uh, some people will pretend that it should only be about the liquid and not about the design. But I'll be honest, Stuart, I am an absolute sucker for good packaging. <laughs> um, I won't pretend it makes it taste better, but I, I, I love a good bottle. I love a good case. You know I mean, that isn't wasteful.
1: You you're right in saying, you know, it's all about the liquid, but um, for the for people new to whiskey, it is often the case that you know, it's whatever looks the most impressive or you know uh, to their particular style. Uh, so the visual representation
0: of it does actually matter. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's it does represent the style, doesn't it? So even though, yeah, you know, I take take old Pulteney single malt and put it in a Macallan bottle, that doesn't change the flavor, but yeah, there's a reason it's presented in the way it is. Mm-hmm. Anything special about the uh, Karawa?
1: Well, I mean, the bottle there and the label design looks pretty cool. I'm just uh, trying to hold up a photo there for, yeah, for Harry to look cool at. Tonight. So yeah, yeah, it's a relatively simple design, uh, just reflecting their, their logo and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, like I said, that one's a 50 C old bottle. So a little bit uh, smaller than your, than your standard, but still, that's, uh, that's, uh, as you said, it's all about the liquor, how it tastes.
0: Yeah, I should say, uh, and you were saying that was forty six percent. I should say this this one, the Lambetta Single Malt, is also forty six percent. It is a seventy cl bottle, which is, uh, as you were saying, you know, fifty cl is quite common for smaller, newer distilleries. Um, that is the same here in Europe, actually. Uh, very common to see that. Um, like a uh, Clay Single Malt from the Netherlands is really good. That's sold in five hundred ml bottles, mm-hmm. very sort of very simple, sort of shorter bottles, nice um, metal cap to them. And yeah, of course, lots of smaller new distilleries are going to use these sort of, not, not in a bad way, they're going to use more generic bottles, aren't they? Because you know, you know, obviously you've got to cut costs sometimes. You can't be ordering super expensive fancy glassware. I get the impression in the whole whiskey industry there's a lot of complaints about the cost of glass at the moment.
1: Yes, uh, from my understanding, going back at least a year or so, uh, there's been a little bit of a glass shortage within the industry. So uh, it's often the case that if you're a smaller distillery, you might need to wait a little bit longer. For your bottles to come through, with uh, all the, the things with COVID uh, calming down, and then uh, obviously export and import lanes are opening or reopening, then hopefully uh, it's going to reduce that downtime, and uh, producers can get more uh, glassware out to the uh, to the whiskey makers.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's not not a very glamorous aspect of whiskey, the logistics, but without it, nothing happens. That's
1: exactly it. Uh, now, before we go, uh, I think it's, uh, it's time that we should answer a couple or maybe just one uh, question from some of our listeners.
0: Uh- yeah. So uh, please do ask, you know, I should say for this episode and for all of us, please ask us any questions you have. Uh, wherever we put, you find our podcast, you can leave a comment or leave a comment on social media, ask a question there. Uh, we'll put out, you know, uh, rounds on stories and stuff, polls asking for questions and feedback. Yeah, so we got a couple of questions after we announced we're doing the podcast, so we're going to answer one of them now.
1: Yes, we are. So the first question that we're going to be answering comes from uh, our friend Kevin. Kevin.
0: Uh, big fan of the show, long time listener. A <laughs> long time listener. Long time listener. It's only the one episode, but he's been listening to that one episode a long time. He slowed it down yep. several times so he can be a long time listener. <laughs> but, a very clever technique, really. Oh, uh, you know, it all works. But uh, yes, uh, Kevin,
1: we really appreciate the question coming through. Uh, his question is: How did we get into whiskey? Now, uh, we did talk a little bit on the first episode about how we started in the whiskey industry, like how we started working yeah. within the whiskey industry, and that was. But yeah so uh this question to me uh when I read it was more about how we started uh enjoying whiskey or you know uh, yeah. what led us to whiskey as opposed to other uh spirits
0: and beverages. Yeah what was this that that sort of started that that little uh, spark that started the whole you know interest.
1: Yeah that's it. So so Harry how about you go first? Uh, how did you get into whiskey?
0: Sure um for so some people it's maybe a bit more complicated to see when they started liking it for me thankfully it's quite Uh, easy to track. So 2014, I I went to the Edinburgh Fringe. I was um, uh, sort of helping uh, people with this comedy show that was happening, at the Edinburgh Fringe, and flyering and stuff like that. My first time attending the Fringe, I was there for two weeks, staying with family in Edinburgh, and i had never drunk whiskey at all. Um, And I was there with my friend, Paul, um, who lives in the south of England. And it was his 21st birthday that summer. So he was given a bottle of Glenmorangie 10. Uh, which, thankfully, uh, for us, you know, I'm sure, sure, will agree, is one of, if not the best, sort of starter Scotch whiskies to get anyone. Re- um, really
1: good recommendation for for
0: beginner whiskey drinkers, and a yeah. lovely dram as well. I mean, it's still, I, I still love it now, you know. So we we're very lucky in that respect. So someone got in this Glenmorangie 10, and uh, neither of us were used to drinking whiskey, but we wanted to uh, like it. Uh, so we said, right, let's let's just. Go the this bottle. We'll slowly drink it over the course of the next, you know, couple of months or whatever, and hopefully by the end we'll like it. And at first we were having these tumblers full of like several ice cubes, a tiny bit of whiskey, and we were still finding like, oh, that's that's strong. Oh, I'm struggling to drink this. Uh, but then you know, as the bottle went on, we used a bit less ice, and we sort of thought that it was a bit difficult. But once we finally got to the end, we were like, yeah, okay, we could we could have some more. Um, so we got a bottle of Glenfiddich Twelve. And again, we were using ice and the 12 I find is actually surprisingly punchy and spicy for what people often treat as quite a light single knot. It's not really to me. So yeah, again, we were using ice, we sort of slowly ranked that back. And we did this once or twice more. And we sort of at that point, that was you know, maybe half a year we'd done this over 2014 to 15. And then we also went to um the pen and wig bar I used to work at in Cardiff. Uh not at that point, later during my masters. And we tried some other whiskies, and that included a ten 10, uh, which at that point, we had no idea about PD whiskies, just completely <laughs> inexperienced and un- uneducated. And I remember vividly being about three or four meters along the bar, and someone opened this bottle and poured it, and I instantly smelled it, and it smelled like someone had taken a nice sheet of smoked salmon and just slapped me across the face with it. Um <laughs> And I was just out. Add that to the tasting Exactly. Exactly. Uh, slap salmon, uh, salmon slap. I, I, I didn't think it was bad, but I was just so confused. Because, you know, a lot of people have this idea about PT whiskey before they try it. I just, I don't think I'd ever heard of it. I don't know why I'd asked for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a, a key moment. But, yeah, and then I, like I say, later I went to work in that bar when I came back from Masters. And I was the only person that interested in whiskey. So I got to learn a little bit more that was just enough that by the time I got to 2017, I applied for the job, the whiskey experience. And that's what took me from having tried a couple of dozen whiskies slowly over two years, you know, having some interest, but very little experience, you know, a few Scottish and Irish, maybe one or two bourbons. That's, that was about it. To say, yeah, to answer Kev's question, that's how I got into whiskey in the first place. But then, yeah, it just took off exponentially once we got to the whiskey experience. Very cool. So, yeah, now we get the Stuart side of things.
1: Yeah, so uh, it was interesting because growing up or, you know, particularly when I was an adult, we always had sort of, you know, wine at the table with dinner and things like that. When I went to Japan for the first time in 2011, uh, I was looking to get gifts for, you know, family and friends and things like that. I was looking around, I was thinking, oh, maybe they've got some Japanese wine or something like that, but nothing was really jumping out. So I thought, oh, how about we change it up? I'll get a gift for for my dad. I'll get him a bottle of Yamazaki 12-year-old uh, when it was considerably more affordable <laughs> yeah, than it is yeah. now. Uh, so I got that, uh, took it home with me, uh, gave it to him as a gift and uh, we tried it. My dad, my brother and myself, we all sort of went, it's not really for us. But we we all sort of picked up on something that was that was worth continuing on with. Now, having said that, I've gone back and I've tried the Amazaki Twelve uh, again, and I I actually really enjoy it. But at the time, it wasn't really to to yeah. my palate. But we thought, yeah, let's let's stick with this whiskey thing, and so we started doing what we call science, uh, in inverted commas. Uh, so science, not just an excuse to to have a couple of drams, but we were actually taking an approach to our whiskey tastings. Now we moved on to your sort of standard expressions across, you know, Scotch, Irish, and American whiskies mostly. So, you know, your, your Jameson's, your Jim beams and Jack Daniels, and, you know, your, your Morangies, and things like that, basically whatever we could get our hands on uh, in Australia, which uh, the whiskey selection at the time, back in 2011, 2012 was nowhere near as good as right. it is now. So we were, I don't want to say stuck with the with the standard expressions but that was you know, sort of the foundation and so we'd try them all neat we'd try them with a little bit of water and then we'd try them with ice and see how they actually evolve and you know some would go really well over ice some would go well with a little bit of water and others we'd prefer just to just to try neat We started off enjoying the Irish whiskies a little bit more you know that buying into the triple distilled being smoother <laughs> We also preferred the American styles of whiskies because they were a little bit sweeter, uh, particularly bourbons, obviously being corn-based, a little bit sweeter. Uh, but it took us a little bit longer to come around to the Scotch whiskeys, and even longer to, to come around to the peated whiskies. So it was a gradual progression over a couple of years from 2011 to probably 2014, where we uh, kept this science going. Uh, and then I moved to the UK. Uh, I started working in bars in London And I was known as the whiskey guy, again, in inverted commas, the whiskey guy, basically, because a lot of the bar staff hadn't tried the whiskeys. So I was happy recommending off the the small amount that we had on the back bar. And then, you know, knowing the ones that I'd tried previously were also going to be on the back bar. So, and then uh, similar to yourself, you know, that little bit of whiskey knowledge and whiskey appreciation from our uh, scientific experiments, if you will, uh, took me to the whiskey experience. And then, you know, standing in front of that whiskey bar with 400 different Scotch whiskeys, yeah. uh, I definitely wasn't the whiskey guy uh, that I thought I was, but uh, happy to, to try and, and learn. So,
0: I mean, yeah, well, well, so while you had way more experience to start with, you know, you started earlier and were definitely a bit more scientific about it. On the other hand, I guess we both, to some extent, had that experience of, you know, when you go from uh, primary school to secondary school, you go from being the biggest kid in school to the smallest. You go from that moment of, being the big fish. And then suddenly it's like, Oh no. Okay. Whatever I, whether I actually did know a lot before or not, which I spoilers, I think, uh, I think Stuart definitely knew more than I did before we started at the whiskey <laughs> experience. Um Yeah. It's, it's, you have that experience of having all these bottles and like, okay, there's a lot of learning about to happen. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was it. sort of in the same way when I was doing my masters and I was working the pen and wig, I was the whiskey guy in that I was the only one interested in the range of whiskies we had. And it was, wasn't that bad a range. Um, it just, the problem was the very little I knew about whiskey was mostly stuff I'd read online and it meant I did not know how to pronounce anything. Um, I don't know how I pronounced everything, but I didn't say Laphroaig. I didn't say Bunahavan. Whatever I said, it was, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would cringe hearing it now, but uh, and I certainly wasn't very scientific with that early tasting. It was more just throw it in a glass <laughs> with a lot of ice and slowly over months, the ice came away. People listening should not think they have to uh, instantly be an expert, you know, if they're starting uh, trying whiskeys from Scotland, Europe, uh, Australia, anywhere.
1: Yeah, sometimes it takes a bit of time. But uh, when, once you find the right one, then it, it all sort of falls into place. It makes a little bit more sense. And then, you know, you're good to go from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. But uh, yes, uh, thank you once again to a uh, friend of the show, Kevin, thank for that Kevin. question. Really appreciate you sending that one in. Uh, and once again, if you do have any questions uh, for the podcast, it could be European whiskey related or whiskey in general, or even if you just want to ask us about anything in, that's going on, then just uh,
0: send those questions through. Yeah, to just us. ask us. You know, how our days are days going? <laughs> can be yeah, it can be whiskey related. You can ask us about stuff we've talked about in the show, about just any any questions you've got. If you're new to whiskey, or certainly if you know you've uh, you're interested by like stuff we've talked about today, the whiskies we've tried. So, to conclude uh, episode two of the Euro Whiskey podcast, thanks for listening, everybody. We have uh, always more information on the Euro Whiskey website, eurowhiskey.shop, social media, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. It's Euro Whiskey on all of those. And you can find Stuart at Ripper
1: underscore whiskies at Instagram. Still just Instagram. Just Instagram.
0: <laughs> but I mean, Instagram is the best. Um... I mean, I've
1: seen your TikToks, and the memes are coming
0: thick and fast. And yeah. they're phenomenal uh, Thank you, thank you um, It's always good to have an admiring fan I was going to say new memes every week It's more often, though, let's, let's be honest um, Yeah, check out your whiskey social media Send us any questions you have Any fun or silly experiences in the whiskey industry You want to share if we got something wrong In the details <laughs> of uh, the tasting of whiskey news Please tell us we are capable of correcting ourselves We promise Yes, we will blame the editor for that one Yeah, it's always Ed's fault Yeah, um, big Ed's But uh, also, we love him and he helps us out so much. (laughs) Thanks, Ed. Okay, thanks everyone for listening. That's episode two of the Your Risky Podcast. See you all soon and uh, happy, happy dramming. Happy dramming.
1: Thanks, goers. Boy. Where's the stop button? We had the go button. Where's the stop, stop. button?
0: Stop.